Let's do this. You wanna get nuts? Let's get nuts. Do you, Chris, take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Do you promise to barrage her with obscure facts concerning comics, movies, TV shows, and toys? I do. And Cindy, do you take this man-child to be your lawfully wedded husband? Do you promise to humor him by engaging him in his obsessive ramblings, for better or worse, in pre-crisis or in post? Sure, why not? Then by the power invested in me by the High Father of the Fourth World, I now pronounce you Supermates. You may podcast with the bride. Hello and welcome to episode 66 of Supermates Husband and Wife Geekcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Cindy. And since this is episode 66, we thought we'd take another opportunity to gush about many things Batman 66, or, if you will, the classic 60s Batman TV series. Now, I know what you're thinking, but Chris, why didn't you do this last January to celebrate the show's 50th anniversary? Well, for the most part, the things we we're going to talk about weren't even out then, so there you go. You know, this is our first episode of the new year, which, Happy New Year, everyone. And uh, I actually received quite a few 60s-related Batman items for Christmas, thanks to the lovely lady sitting beside me. I got the figures... Now, the, the notes say gorgeous brunette, so what happened to that? Oh, uh, well, I said lovely lady. <laughs> yeah, but I want to be the gorgeous brunette. Okay, the gorgeous brunette sitting next to me. How's that? Oh, that's okay. better. Okay. Especially since we just came back from celebrating our 21st wedding anniversary. True, true. But for Christmas, I got the Figures Toy Company Alfred and Batgirl figures to go with my growing Mego-like collection from that line. Uh, I think, personally, the Alfred is a home run, mm -hmm. and the Batgirl looks great in hand. I was, still think her head's a little big myself. Her, a lot of those suffer from hydrocephalic heads. I mean, they, they really do. I mean, their heads are... A lot, and there's a couple of cases where their head is, would fit on a 12-inch figure. Mm -hmm. Batgirl's head in hand, it's not as bad. I mean, the pictures I was seeing on the Mego Museum were telling me, oh, good gravy, you know. Right. But when I got her in hand... You know, it didn't bother me nearly as much. And, you know, she's not as nice as the Alfred, and she's nowhere near as nice as your toner doll, of course. Well. <laughs> but she didn't <laughs> drop the same, we didn't drop the same amount of money on that either. This is true. $30 as compared to, I think it was like 160 Right. So, but, you know. Now, Santa Claus put a pack of Batman 66 playing cards in my stocking. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised to find that each card had a different photo on it. Usually, there's like, you know, about ten different photos, and it's just repeated over and over right. again. Uh, so, it was a very nice set that, you know, you could honestly use it as a trading card set from the series, you know. Which, of course, they did make those back in the 60s. The later Batman trading cards went from the paintings uh, to actual photographs in the tops Batman series. Uh, but the big Batman 66 gift I got was the new hardcover coffee table book, Batman, A Celebration of the Classic TV Series by Bob Garcia and Joe Desiris. And I had seen a review of this and several articles on Dan Greenfield's excellent website, 13th Dimension, which Dan Greenfield has guested several times on Rob's Treasury Cast, so... Those of you who have been listening to Treasury Cast might know of Dan, and you should definitely check out 13thDimension.com. But he he likes to focus on Batman 66 quite a bit. 
and he had a review of the book. And I told Cindy, I got to get this book. I've got to get this book. This is one of the the things I want for Christmas, most of all. And Bob Garcia had written many reference and history books concerning genre subjects. But most importantly for this project, he wrote all the articles on the Batman TV show that were published in the February 1994 issue of Cinefantastique magazine. Now, I bought that issue at a Walden Books back in the 90s when it came out. And it has long been my Bat Bible. Yes, I mean, you have referenced that and referenced that. As far as the 60s TV show and the animated series until the Batman animated book came out. But, unfortunately, at some point during one of our moves, it disappeared. Yeah. And I was able to find another copy at an antique mall one day, and I plunked down, like, I think it was 20 bucks or something. Yeah. But I just, I, 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 it was worth it to me. I mean, you know, so I, I bought it. I was just like, you know what, I'm, because I hadn't had any luck finding it, and I bought it. And But he actually wrote those articles, and some of those interviews are actually even referenced in this book, because, you know, many of the cast members have, have passed, passed on. Right. right. Joe Desris, the co-author, is one of, if not the foremost collector of Batman memorabilia in the world. His collection was heavily featured in Chip Kidd and Jeff Spears' excellent Batman collected photo book. And for you old farts like me, the Topps Batman movie magazine from 1989. There was a section that showed his collection that just, it, that was the burgeoning days of my Batman actual collecting. Right. And I was just like, I, I mean, I saw so many things I never knew existed at the time and I was just blown away and so jealous and envious and and i mean honestly that's probably one reason why our house looks like it does because of that magazine article i don't know whether to thank you or throttle you (laughs) back to the book in question batman a celebration of the classic tv series visually the book is gorgeous from the white cover where adam and bert's costumes just pop off to the many many behind the scenes photographs inside is a beautifully designed book there's photos in here that I had never seen. There's a picture in here of Adam West in the Batman suit completely without the trunks. So he looks like like the modern, oh, modern yeah. no-trunks Batman. <laughs> it's really strange looking. Uh, there's several, you know, there's several behind-the-scenes shots uh, on the set and everything. Uh, one cool but rather odd bit uh, for the design of the book is there is a semi-dust jacket or a band that goes on the front of the book that's designed to look like Adam West's utility belt. Yeah. It's, it, you know, like I said, it's just a band across the front, but if the cover didn't tell you what Batman you're getting, then the belt will, you know. Which is why the book came shrink-wrapped. Right, yeah. You know, to protect that band. Protect that band, yeah. There are nice little touches like using the font from the credits and the cliffhanger text for the chapter titles, and those chapter titles rhyme just like the two-part story titles on the series as well. The narrative follows the development of the series from the studio heads at ABC wanting a Batman series to the involvement of Bill Dozier to the decision to go for a satire and then to the end of production and all the points in between. And I learned quite a few things about the series that I didn't even know about, which, you know, I'm not saying I know everything, but I, I, you know, I consider myself pretty knowledgeable about it. But one thing I learned was Harv Bennett, who, of course, is the famous producer of the Star Trek film, starting with Wrath of Khan, he was involved in decisions at ABC concerning the series. And I knew he worked at ABC, but I never heard him associated with Batman in any way. So it's kind of funny I was reading, and I always reference the uh, 
uh, Mark Cushman's uh, Star Trek These Are the Voyages books, mm-hmm. and I'll reference it again before we get out of this segment. But there was a interesting little anecdote. Gene Ronberg's work, and it wasn't on Star Trek. There was a series for uh, ABC that he was working on, a pilot or something. And there was a guy on the set that kept asking questions and giving suggestions. And Roddenberry apparently got irritated with him and asked the guy to be tossed off the set. Turns out the guy worked for ABC. Oh. Turns out the guy was Harv Bennett, who would later, <laughs> in many ways, usurp control of Star Trek from Gene Roddenberry. Ooh. <laughs> So what goes around comes around, uh-huh. you know, so you might be careful of who you tick off, <laughs> tick off on the way, you know, and, and on any given day, you never know how they're going to be associated with. But anyway, I will say my only minor quibble is that since this is the first official sanctioned history of the series, there is little to no dirt on the series yeah. inside. It's a very whitewashed uh, rose-colored glasses view. Right. I mean, I didn't expect any, but we've all heard there were some egos involved in the show. I mean, there was that movie, the that the, the back to the back, back cave. to the back cave or whatever it was called. Yeah, that where they you know actors portray Adam West and Burt Ward. Do I mean, we have that on DVD or is it just on our DVR? I don't think it's on our DVR. I think I videotaped it years ago. Oh, I don't think I own okay. it. I mean, for a while there, I mean, it might be out of print now. I don't know, mm. but. But, um, you know, and that was fun. You know, that yeah. was a fun little thing. And, uh, the uh, you know, we saw in that how, you know, they Adam and Bert eventually got, you know, into uh, arguments over who was the star. And they, I mean, it's the Batman show. <laughs> and they refused to come out of, one refused to come out of the trailer until the other one did. You know, they, they weren't going to wait on the other guy. And, and all that type of stuff is, is not mentioned in here. There's the bit where, you know, apparently in the second season, because Burt Ward's ego was apparently getting really inflated, the crew goaded Vincent Price into just pelting him with, he was supposed to hit him with like one or two eggs and he pelted him with several dozen while they were, I think there was even some that wasn't even in the, in the show itself. Did you look it up on Amazon? Yes. It's, it's currently out of print. Um, only available from third-party sellers. Apparently, it goes for about $35, $40. Yeah, I ain't paying that. But anyway, <laughs> it's probably on YouTube, honestly, if you yeah. go out there and look. But, yeah, so that type of stuff isn't in this book. They do touch on the infamous rivalry between Burt Ward and Bruce Lee when he guested with Van Williams as Cato and the Green Hornet. But this book points to it all being a prank on Lee's part, to mess with Ward, who was a friend of his. Mm -hmm. Others, including the recently passed Van Williams, have hinted that it was no joke. And in fact, on the Comic Book Central podcast, he was pretty adamant that, yeah, Bruce Lee was really, you know, kind of honked off because Ward was running his mouth and this and that. Now, I don't know. Who knows? You know, there's different stories. I'm not trying to make Burt Ward look bad or anything because I like Burt Ward and want to know of him, of course. Uh, But, you know, it's... It's just it's interesting. I I guess because I was I have gotten used to the uh, the Star Trek books, uh-huh. the the Mark Cushman. These are the voyages. They are so in depth, and they they do get into. I really like those books because they do get into some of the conflicts without getting one sided. Right, I mean, they right. present it pretty fairly. Like I've said before, you know, this guy's griping about Shatner. This guy says he loves Shatner. You know, 
that type of thing. You know, it's very balanced. Right. And I kind of wish there was a little more of that here, but I understand it's the first official book, so they don't want to, you know, most of the Paramount official Star Trek books don't have that stuff in it either. Exactly. So, uh, other than that very minor criticism, uh, this book is a joy to behold. There is plenty of info and quotes from the folks who made the series to give you a pretty accurate picture of the day-to-day production. Like I said, it's not as exhaustive as these are the voyages, but very few things are. Right, right. The interviews and quotes from the producers, the set designers, the stuntmen, etc., are all new to me. You also get recollections from Adam West, Yvonne Craig, Vincent Price, and many of the stars and guest stars. And like we said, sadly, many of these people have passed on since Bob Garcia interviewed them over the years, so it's nice to hear their take on things. Right. So if you're a fan of the classic TV series, you need this book. The design and photos alone are enough to put a big smile on your face. I devoured it, and I'm still going about to look at the pictures. The book retails for $50, but Amazon has it for $34.38 as we record this, and it's most definitely worth every penny. And we're going to take a quick break to run some promos, then we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of this episode and talk about the recent animated sequel to the classic TV show, Batman Return of the Cape Crusaders. Emergency. Batman speaking. Warning all of you to brace yourselves for big news. The biggest. Tell them, Robin. Holy superlatives, Batman. It's really exciting. Greetings, citizens. Join me, your old bat chum, John S. Drew, on my journey to discover what it is I love about the classic 1966 Batman television series on the Batcave podcast. Each episode, I'm joined by a guest host as we review the classic television series. There's a new episode every two weeks. Same bat time, same bat channel on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or at thebatcavepodcast.com. Holy memoranda, folks. Make a note not to miss it. Good thinking, Robin. Okay, we're back, and even though I'm on the newly launched Batman Nightcast with Ryan Daly, I just can't talk about Batman enough, apparently. Uh -uh. Well, that's the old joke. I mean, if somebody broke open your head, it would be Batman first, and then me and the kids. (laughs) So... That's fun. Uh, and true. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Batman Return of the Cape Crusaders. Uh, we've been wanting to talk about this for a while, but in deference to the excellent Batcave podcast by John S. Drew, which I have guested on, and will soon guest on again, we'll get into that later, I held off a bit because they did two episodes, concer- well, actually did several episodes concerning this. They did a quick review, they did a in-depth review, so I thought, well, you know, that's been out, th- that's out there, and, and some of, you know, in podcasting circles, things cross over and stuff. So I thought, I'll give it a little bit. And in case somebody didn't get to see it, we'll, we'll talk about it. So uh, and speaking of the Batcave podcast, before I forget, I'm actually uh, have plans to record with John uh, this weekend, this coming weekend. And we're going to talk about the uh, William Dozier produced Wonder Woman pilot, uh, the mini pilot from the 60s, mm. the Who's Afraid of Diana Prince. <laughs> and if you've never seen that, go to YouTube and watch it, and then keep your ears posted to the Batcave podcast for me and John to discuss it. It is a hoot. 
That's all I can say. Fodder for drinking and game. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not even long enough for a drinking game. Just get drunk beforehand. <laughs> there you go. It's only like six, seven minutes, minutes maybe. Yeah, yeah it's maybe. Not very long. Yeah. Anyway, concerning Batman: Return of the Cape Crusaders, late in 2015, while speaking at a convention, Adam West and Burt Ward let slip they had recorded audio for a new Batman animated movie based on their versions of the characters. And everybody was, you know, pretty stunned. It's like, what, what, what? When this come? There was yeah. no announcement. I mean, it was just like them loose lips at a convention. They said this, and there was no confirmation or anything. Months and months went by with little to no news or acknowledgement by Warner Brothers about this. Or Weston Ward just getting their participation in Lego Batman 3, the video game, mixed up with the actual movie. Was it a planned film but killed somewhere along the way? Nobody seemed to know. Then out of nowhere, in late summer of last year, the news broke. Batman The Return of the Cape Crusaders would debut at New York Comic Con and would be released digitally in October and on Blu-ray and DVD in early November. Even more exciting, the film would be shown in theaters one day only on October 11th. Mm -hmm. That's how we first saw the film. With the whole family in tow, we made a rare midweek trip to the big city of Lexington to see it. Not to spoil ahead, but we all walked out of the theater with a big grin on our face. Yes. So, uh, Batman Return of the Cape Crusaders was released on October 11th, as I said, 2016, directed by Rick Morales and written by Michael Jelinek and James Tucker. And James Tucker was one of Bruce Timm's disciples on the Mm -hmm. animated series and went on to produce Legion of Superheroes and, most importantly, Batman Brave and the Bold, Mm -hmm. which, of course, also had quite a bit of the Batman 60s. Flavor. Influence, yes. Yeah, flavor to it. And our cast uh, was, the top three in our cast is obviously very familiar to you. Adam West played Bruce Wayne and Batman, uh, did the voice, of course. Burt Ward played Dick Grayson and Robin. Julie Newmar did the voice of Catwoman. Jeff Bergman played the announcer in The Joker. Serena Irwin played Miranda Moore. Thomas Lennon was Chief O'Hara and the Prison Warden. William Sawyers was the Penguin. Lynn Marie Stewart was Aunt Harriet. Jim Ward was Commissioner Gordon, Stephen Weber was Alfred Pennyworth, and Wally Wingert was the Riddler. No need to explain, Commissioner. We saw the whole sordid affair. Those criminals will be brought to justice, or I'll know the reason why. We're on our way. Hurricane Crusader, whoever you may be under that cowl of yours, you paladin of virtue, you're our only hope. To the Batcave. In stately Wayne Manor, millionaire Bruce Wayne and his youthful ward, Dick Grayson, watch the live broadcast of Gotham Palace. They are stunned to find the mop-top pop group Hector and the Who Daddies have been replaced by their foes, the Joker, the Penguin, the Riddler, and Catwoman. After terrorizing the audience a bit, the fearsome foursome leave clues for Batman. Raising eyebrows from Aunt Harriet with a hasty brush-off, Bruce and Dick descend into the Batcave and emerge once more as Batman and Robin. In the high-powered Batmobile, they speed to police headquarters, where with their keen deductive reasoning and logic that only works in the Batman 66 universe, they deduce the villain's next hit will be at the Acme Atomic Energy Laboratory. When they arrive, they find their enemies stealing the advanced replicator ray, able to scan and duplicate any object. After a bat fight, the dynamic duo chase after the Joker-mobile, the loser quarry when Riddler duplicates potholes in the city streets. The villains leave another clue, a piece of aluminum foil. 
In the Batcave, Batman detects remnants of gravy, which leads our heroes to the abandoned Fitzsimmons frozen food factory. The villains lay in wait for the Cape Crusaders, debating on what to do with the powerful device they have stolen. Catwoman announces her plan to brainwash Batman into siding with him, thanks to her batnip drug, which the other villains scoff at. The masked manhunters arrive, and of course, another bat fight breaks out, with the heroes on the losing end and tied to a giant TV dinner, heading for an equally giant oven. Catwoman scratches Batman with her batnip dipped claw, but it seemingly has no effect on the stalwart crime fighter, despite the natural chemistry between the two. The villains leave their foes to burn alive, but Batman manages to loosen his bonds in the acidic lemon tart he is tied next to and frees them just in time. When Batman returns to Police HQ, he uncharacteristically admonishes Commissioner Gordon and Chief O'Hara for watching the launch of the latest Belgravian manned space flight while on the job. Later at Wayne Manor, Bruce finds Anne Harriet snooping around in his study and fires Alfred for letting it happen. Dick is stunned, but Bruce insists they begin their search for the four villains and the replicator ray. The cowed crusaders search on land, sea, and air, but find no trace of their foes. Batman deduces they must have literally left the planet and surmises they stowed away on the Belgravian space mission. He and Robin launch their own bat rocket and give chase. On the abandoned joint U.S. Belgravian space station, Joker, Penguin, and Riddler betray Catwoman for being too soft on Batman. <laughs> How delicious! I've always wanted to rule from the stars. <laughs> this will go down in history as the greatest caper in the universe. <laughs> And when we three are done, there'll be no one to stop us. <laughs> there are four cats in this litter, you pudgy peon. Yes, but one runt which must get tossed out. Treachery. But why? You're soft on Batman. And we all know how fickle cats can be. Who's to say you won't turn on us for him? <laughs> the cat's got her own tongue. Ah, well. <laughs> Just think of it as one small step for mankind, and you'll be able to swim back to Earth. <laughs> oh, get up, boys. They throw her in the airlock and open the doors, but thankfully, a space-suited Batman and Robin arrive just in time. When confronted, the three villains reveal their plan to make three copies of the Earth, one for each of them to rule. A zero-G battle ensues, but a no-nonsense Batman soon puts an end to the usual light-hearted banter and fist cuffs by brutalizing his shocked foes before an equally shocked Robin. Riddler, this is the operating table. Not the face, Batman. And I'm the surgeon. Catwoman makes off in an escape pod, and the dynamic duo apprehend the other three ne'er-do-wells. Back in Gotham, Batman stuns Gordon and O'Hara by mysteriously disappearing in the middle of one of their usual long-winded admiration speeches. He leaves Robin at HQ, forcing the boy Wonder to borrow a bicycle to get home. At Wayne Manor, Bruce yells at Aunt Harriet, sending her out of the room crying. Dick can't take any more of Bruce's abhorrent behavior, and when he calls him out on it, the millionaire shows his ward the door. Meanwhile, a seemingly homeless Alfred wanders the streets, searching through garbage cans. Bruce cuts the line on the ever-beeping bat phone, and crime and school truancy run rampant through the Gotham streets. 
When Batman returns, he uses the replicator ray to make copies of himself and demands Gordon and O'Hara give up their uniforms and their jobs. Batman is taking over the city. Duplicates of Batman fill the city streets, taking over every imaginable function in Gotham. Batman trades in the Batmobile for a souped-up hot rod version. Robin realizes that Catwoman's Batnip must have worked after all and sneaks out the feline fatale. The two make a pact and head for the Batcave in her Catmobile, after Robin douses her with bat sleep, of course. Remember, I'll be watching your every move, Catwoman. Kid, I always suspected you did. When they arrive, Batman is waiting for them, as Robin knew he would. Catwoman sprays Batman with the batnip antidote, but it has no effect. Batman has taken an anti-antidote to counteract the cure. After a utility belt showdown, the now darker night overpowers them and ties them above the atomic pile. The radioactive gases seemingly destroy them, the unlikely duo escape thanks to Robin's bat anti-isotope spray he coated them with earlier. With so many Batman to battle, Robin and Catwoman act as prison inspectors and free nearly all of Batman foes, save for the incredulous Joker, Penguin, and Riddler. But they too soon disappear, leaving only a pile of orange dust in their wake. Realizing he ultimately craves attention, Batman and his duplicates take over the Gotham Palace live TV broadcast and warn the viewers that if they turn the channel or their TV sets off, bombs that they have planted on their TV antenna will cause the sets to explode. Robin and Catwoman arrive with a rose gallery of foes, including the Clock King, False Face, the Mad Hatter, the Minstrel, Louis the Lilac, the Black Widow, Mr. Freeze, the Bookworm, Egghead, the Siren, Shame, the Sandman, and the Archer. The most epic of all bat fights ensues, while the original Batman Batusi's in the background. Robin manages to disarm Batman's detonator with a well-aimed batarang, but the multitude of Batman triumph. The original Batman plans on killing his former partner and Catwoman right then and there, but pauses when a waiter brings him a bottle of celebratory champagne. Special delivery for a Mr. Batman. That's me. To Gotham's newest pop star. <laughs> I'll drink to that. Refreshing. Now, time to deal with you. Ugh, great Scott. I've been slept a mickey. Batman, are you okay? Back to, to normal, old chum. Spell broken. Drinking the drug bubbly, he reverts to his old square self. That was no waiter who slipped him that mickey. That was Alfred in disguise, answering long-standing orders to search for the components to create an antidote should Batman ever become brainwashed and fire him. The police arrive and Catwoman goes with them, but not before she and Batman finally share their first kiss. The Bat duplicates all crumble to dust, and Batman reasons that the Joker, Penguin, and Riddler that they captured were duplicates as well and the three masterminds' real goal was to loot the city of its priceless treasures and pieces of art while the dynamic duo were distracted by the Joker's changes to Catwoman's batnip drug. Finding Catwoman waiting in the new Batmobile, they mount their one-man whirly bat copters and pursue the Penguin's trademark blimp. A battle ensues on top, with the dynamic duo taking care of the three foes and Catwoman taking the loot. Batman begs her not to return to her wicked ways, and although they retrieve the treasures, the Princess of Plunder leaps down a large smokestack, presumably to her doom. 
leaving a saddened Cape Crusader to blow his nose into his bat handkerchief. Give me your hand. I'm sorry, Batman, but I won't be put in a cage again. No. Catwoman. Loving you was wrong, but I had to do right. Back at Stately Wayne Manor, Bruce and Dick allay Aunt Harriet's various suspicions about them by throwing her a surprise birthday party. But soon the two are off on a nighttime skeet shooting, quote unquote, excursion when the bat signal calls them into action once more. Uh, as Rob would say, I'm not going to bury the lead here. I love this. Uh, this was the most fun I had at the movies all year, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't see Blazing Saddles in the theater earlier in the year, so maybe yeah. it's close, you know. Uh, <laughs> after the incessantly grim, dark, joyless Batman v Superman, I know I'm violating the BVS Accords, guys, and the squirm-inducing Batman, the killing joke, this was like a breath of fresh air to me. Uh, so what did you think of it? I loved it. It was a movie we could all enjoy, and there was levels that were there for the adults, but then the kids could watch it, and I mean, it was great. Just like the Batman TV show. I know. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, that's the thing that really, that, and we'll get into that as we talk about it, but this really did nail that kind of humor that the show had, mm -hmm. that sly, satirical Humor and it worked on several different levels, which which we'll get into as we go about the opening sequence that had me at hello. I mean, <laughs> the old TV show had an animated opening credit sequence that evoked the comic books, but since this whole thing is animated, what could they do? Well, they recreated a batch of classic Batman covers in Batman '66 style. Each of the main characters are introduced with an animated version of an iconic cover. Just for reference, Batman is, of course, featured on Detective Comics number 27, his first appearance, with Bookworm, Egghead, and Louis the Lilac taking the place of the nameless hoods on that cover. Robin is also on his debut cover, Detective Comics number 38, jumping through the hoop Batman's holding. The shot of Batman and Robin running is from Batman number 3. Catwoman has a dynamic duo caged in a lion's den on the cover of Detective Comics number 203, minus the Roy Raymond TV detective blurb. Batman punches the Joker among a stack of playing cards from Batman number 11. Batman and Robin pursue an ostrich-riding penguin on the cover of Detective number 67, with the wartime keep em flying slogan still intact, oddly enough. But there's no mention of the boy commandos. The Riddler gets his debut cover as well from Detective number 140. And finally, the Batmobile leaps through the cover of Batman number 20. Uh, you could do a whole show on the end jokes in this thing, some of them are very obscure, like the really the first one, the Gotham Palace show is based on the Hollywood Palace series that Adam West once hosted as Batman. Uh, that Milton Berle was on that uh, quite a bit. I think he was a regular host, but I actually used the audio clip from one of the songs he performed from that episode, mm -hmm. you know, a, a while back. And, you know, as I said then, like, Adam West wonders why he got typecast. But anyway, <laughs> when you show up on other shows dressed as Batman, yeah. you know? <laughs> but anyway, 
Uh, Miranda Moore was named after a song Adam West recorded during the Batman heyday called Miranda. The original idea, according to the producers, and I believe I got this from the Batcave podcast, was to have Batman sing it to her at the end of the movie, but they couldn't iron out the rights to this obscure, nearly forgotten song for some reason. So go figure. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, we see Dick practicing ballet at the beginning. He's complaining about looking ridiculous in his tights. His tights, really? What? Yeah. What? It's like, Bruce, no teenager practices ballet, and I look ridiculous in these tights. That is where these guys get the TV show. Uh, that kind of straight-faced, clueless at how absurd, absurd all this is, humor, is what the show was built on, mm-hmm. you know. And you can argue they often lost sight of that in later seasons, particularly by season three. That it was just, it, it wasn't as, you know, as self-referencing by then. It was just crazy. Uh, this movie does not do that. My one minor quibble about the whole thing, and I'm going to get this out of the way, is Anne Harriet's suspicions overtly pointing to the possibility that Bruce and Dick are gay. It's the bet signal, sir. Yes, Alfred. No doubt the commissioner is already calling. Oh, mercy alive. Why, you'd think you were Batman and Robin rushing out like that. We were just going fishing, Aunt Harriet. At this hour? Land's sake. You two sure do fish a lot. We find it's a great way to relax from the pressures of being a millionaire playboy and his teenage ward. Indeed. Now, if you'll excuse us, Aunt Harriet. Can you believe the lengths those two go to keep their little secret? Secret, Mom? Why, Alfred, you really don't see it? Uh, no, I do not. Now, if you'll excuse me, I believe the upstairs doorknobs need polishing. Good day, madam. Now, I know that was the producers having fun with the fact that Anne Harriet was created for the comics by incoming editor Julius Schwartz to finally squash those rumors started by Frederick Wortham's Seduction of the Innocent like 10 years before. Right. Because he came on the books in like 1964, and he killed off Alfred and brought in Anne Harriet, and then the TV series producers said, well, we want Alfred, so they brought Alfred back, so you had both on the TV show. He was not created for the TV show, as a lot of people think, but anyway. But in the context of the story, it raises too many icky questions. Dick is an underage boy and Harriet's nephew. If she really thinks something is going on, is allowing it to go on, well, let's just not go there. It should have been one of those things, if they felt they needed, they absolutely had to make that joke, they should have done it once and moved on. Yeah, they came back to it too many times. Uh-huh. It's it just like, no, because it, it just raises too many questions, you mm-hmm. know. But anyway. I think the voice work is really well done throughout. A lot of people have uh, said, you know, Adam West sounds older. And, of course, he does. I mean, if you watch the TV show, an episode, and then watch this, you're going to hear the age in his voice. But at the same time, it's Adam freaking West. And I'm here to tell you, as a woman that met him, let's see, Andrew's 15 now. It's probably it was like 16, 17 16, years ago. 16, 17 years ago, I met him at a comic vo- Comic Con and that man's voice is like butter. <laughs> it's just, mm. Yeah, we've mentioned that many times. Hello there. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's a panty dropper. <laughs> Strange stirrings of my utility belt. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, honey, you're blo- turning blood uh, red. Uh, well, hmm. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I'm you, embarrassed to you. But, 
we got to give a lot of credit to the voice director, director uh, Wes Gleason. He manages to get Adam West back to a very similar delivery of what he did back in the 60s show. Mm -hmm. Because even when Batman, he did the voice of Batman on the 70s cartoon from Filmation and the last two years of Super Friends slash Superpowers, mm -hmm. his delivery wasn't the same. It didn't work in that version. Context, yeah. But they get it. They get him back to it here. And a few minutes in between the delivery and the visuals, which we'll get into, looking like his Batman, you, you're, you quickly buy into it. Oh, yeah. You know. Uh, Burt Ward is pretty much spot on. I mean, you know, he seems to have not aged hardly at all as far as his voice. And he's back in that overly enthusiastic mode without a hitch. But from everything I've read and seen, Robin was just Burt Ward amped up slightly. They actually said, just play yourself when they met him. So it's probably easy for him, you know. Uh, Julie Newmar has no problem getting back into Catwoman either. But again, I'm See, not... See, I heard the age in her voice more than I did in really? Adam West. I did. think so? I mean, you know, because I think it's partially, you know, where I'm always waiting on older patrons at the library, the older ladies and stuff that come to the library. Yeah. They're, you know, and I listen to their voices and stuff. She sounded older to me. Well, I was watching, I wrote these notes yesterday and then it just so happened on MeTV last night there was a Catwoman episode. Mm. And I, I didn't watch all of it because I can watch them whenever I want and without commercials. But, you know, I could, having just watched the movie and then watching that, I could, I could hear a little bit more than what I originally thought. Yeah. You know, but she still, when later on when her and Robin go into the prison, she plays an older woman and she still sounds like an older woman. We're Gotham State Prison Inspectors. I've never heard of prison inspectors before. Why wasn't I informed of this? It's a new position, Warden. You do want to ensure the safety of the prisoners and all that garbage, don't you? You know, she sounds like a generic, like a stereotypical older woman, so she's still able to sound older, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. So I think... I, well, I'm just saying, of the three of them, her you voice... You heard it more than Adam West? Mm-hmm, okay. I did. Well. Of, the three, of the three, her age showed the most. Now, I'm not saying it was a great big difference, but of the three of them, okay. her showed the most. Okay. You know, I, I, it wasn't hard for her to get back in character because pretty much Julie Newmar purrs through everything she says anyway. Mm. So, not quite as much as Eartha Kitt did, obviously. But, you know... Jeff Bergman voiced both the Gotham Palace announcer and the Joker, and the announcer sounded exactly like Batman executive producer and show creator William Dozier, who narrated the entire series as Desmond Doomsday. That's the name they gave the narrator. Welcome to everyone's favorite variety show, the Gotham Palace. And here's your host, that international starlet of stage and screen, Miranda Monroe. It's it's eerie how much he sounds like him. And he kind of, the one thing, and I heard the guys on the Batcave podcast say this, they kind of wish he had narrated the whole thing in that voice. you Because know, oh, that's yeah. such a part of the show. But maybe they just, they, there might have been some, there's a lot of weird licensing stuff you can tell going on. Even though they can license like certain things to the comics or to the toys, maybe they couldn't do it in a movie or right. you know, uh, of actual production. He also, to me, nailed Cesar Romero's Joker. He's got the inflection. He's got the slight accent that you can hear, you know. Yeah. Uh, and he's got the cadence and that laugh 
down pat. I mean, there's some times in that that I thought, did they just sample some of Romero's right. dialogue? I mean, because it sounds dead on. Dead on. Oh, sorry, kitties, but the whole daddies have decided to play a smaller venue, the broom closet backstage. <laughs> now, Wally Winger uh, voiced the Riddler, and he does a pretty good job with Frank Gorshin's version of the Riddler, but it, it comes and goes. He doesn't quite get that mercurial nature of Gorshin's voice, where it goes up and down, high and low, as he goes from, like, depressed and defeated to manic, you know, which is what Gorshin would do. I mean, he was definitely the most unstable of the Batman villains on the TV show. And he doesn't quite get that, but he does, it does sound, it sounds like Gorshin at like medium level all the time. Mm. And he does get the hoo-hoos and giggles almost every time. So I thought he did a good job. And apparently he was friends with Frank Gorshin, so... Uh, William Sellers' Penguin doesn't sound much like Burgess Meredith. I don't think it has enough of that mumbly, grumbly, you know, under your breath, little smart alecky things that the Penguin would say, which a lot of it was ad-libbed by, by Meredith. But, you know, it's fine, but it, it's the least like the original character of, of all the main villains. See, I would disagree. You think so? I, I think the Riddler was, I mean, he did fine, but I would say the Riddler was the weakest of the mm. four. Really? I, I mean, I would. I mean, as far as talking, I mean, you know, Frank Gorshin has kissed me. Right. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. We saw Frank Gorshin two different conventions. Yeah. So. And he kissed me. Yeah. And I kissed him. Yeah. I like the bad ones. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> you are associating yourself with known super criminals. <laughs> Uh, there wasn't much made of this in the publicity, but Stephen Weber from Wings voices Alfred, and Thomas Lennon of the new Odd Couple in Reno 911 voiced Chief O'Hara. Lynn Marie Stewart, who voiced Anne Harriet, will always be Missy Vaughn from Pee Wee's Playhouse to me, even though she's been in a lot of other stuff. The visual style in this movie is really well done. It's not as streamlined as the Bruce Tim style, but there are no overt anime influence like the most of DC's recent direct-to-video releases which I'm thankful for because that wouldn't have worked with this material. No, uh-uh. And I'm really tired of the pinheads with the giant shoulders, and yeah, I really don't like that look, but that's just me. Comic artist Dusty Abel did much of the design work, and he was a perfect fit when I saw his name in the credits. I'm like, oh, cool, because if you've seen his retro TV posters, particularly that awesome Star Trek image with just about every character from TOS, you know he is a master of taking an actor's likeness and distilling it down to a simplified, almost animated-like line work design. Mm -hmm. So uh, he was, it was spot on to get him to do this. Um, Batman, Robin, Catwoman, and Joker are pretty much dead on their TV appearances, although they don't have Cesar Romero's ever-present mustache. Why? I don't know. That's really strange because it's in almost all the merchandise and even the Lego minifigures, yeah. Batcave has it. I mean, on that scale, it has it. So I was wondering about that, too. I kept, I looked for it, you right. know. I was like, well. But they got everything else about him, right? The Riddler isn't bad, but he's not, he's got too much of a bouffant hairdo going on up front. Gorshin's hair was thinning and slicked back, you know. So I'm not really sure why they went that route since they were clearly 
copying his body language and his vocals. I mean, just the little things he did with his fists and yeah, he, you know, couple, there was one time where he even kind of does this like like he's almost like dry hump in the air when he was so excited about something. I was just kind of like, well, he kind of did do that, you know. <laughs> so, one thing they definitely got, and I didn't even put this in the notes and I meant to, you know, they definitely paid a lot of attention to Catwoman's movements in this movie. I mean, if you watch, it's like the animators had a lot of fun, like, uh, you know, drawing Julie Newmar. <laughs> they did. Just watch. I mean... When she walks away at the end when they arrest her, I mean, it's like, literally like two cats in a bag. I mean, it's... <laughs> Chris Franklin! I, don't blame me, I didn't draw it! <laughs> oh! <laughs> but, anyway, the penguin... Well, I can't say anything. I said, you know, yeah. I just had a panty dropper voice. Right, exactly. So, hush. <laughs> the penguin looks like the comic book version mostly. You know, there's not much of Burgess Meredith in the visual either, as far as I'm concerned. Alfred looks like Alan Napier minus the glasses, which they gave to Commissioner Gordon, along with a mustache, because Neil Hamilton's estate did not participate with the Batman licensing in any way. So, occasionally in the Batman 66 comic book, somebody will sneak in a Neil Hamilton, but they probably really shouldn't, honestly. I think Mike already did in that, uh, the last issue that we covered. The, you know, the, oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. yeah so. uh, the Batmobile is spot on and really well rendered. Some of it is obviously CGI, but it blends in seamlessly with the line art. The Joker-mobile is pretty close to the one seen a few times in the show, but the Batcopter and the Batboat are original designs. I'm not really sure why, but it's probably another licensing, licensing wrinkle. And it yeah. might be because they de- debuted in the movie. Might the be, movies. Yeah. Had been out on you know DVD and Blu-ray and home video for years, right? But they couldn't get the TV series out, so it might be different licensing in some ways. Back to the story. I love the first scene in police headquarters where Batman and Robin suss out where the villains will strike next. It makes absolutely no logical sense. No, just like in the scene in the '66 movie, yes. you know, when it's like it was at C, C for Catwoman, you know, that type of thing, and. Like, says, what? That shark was pulling my leg. The Joker, you know that's how I mean, that's how, <laughs> you know that type of logic's like <laughs> only works here, you know. That's uh, non-logic. Non-logic, yeah. They call on the I keep referencing the Batcave podcast, but they call it Gotham City logic on there, oh, well, there and it go. makes sense. Yeah, Batman references their old friend Professor Nichols at the Atomic Lab. Nichols wasn't on the TV series, but he is a Golden Age character who would send Batman and Robin and sometimes Superman back in time. He largely disappeared after the new look era of the comic prior to the TV show, but he did resurface in the Super Friends comic, becoming a guardian and teacher to the Wonder Twins. As portrayed here, the character more closely resembles a nutty German professor named Overbeck from the Mad Hatter episodes, The Contaminated Cow and The Mad Hatter Runs Afoul. That's where the Batman gets the pink cow that the oh, yeah. Mad Hatter radiates. Which I there's only two two parters with Mad Hatter, but I love I love the Mad Hatter on the TV show. He's one of my favorites. Batman reminds Robin they shouldn't jaywalk despite their hurry to get into the lab. This is typical of the many life lessons Batman would teach his young ward throughout the original series. And Robin's responses were always, "Gosh, yes, Batman, when you put it that way," or something like that. And you get that here too, of course. During the first Bat fight, and I know you love this part, Batman gets hit on the head and sees triple. And what does he see? Three Catwomen. Oh, Batman, give up this life of excessive do-gooding and join us. 
A man of your skills could be quite useful to me. Us? When heck freezes over, you shameless Bathsheba! Let the grown-ups talk, boy bird brain. We could have a lot of fun. What do you say? I say, renounce your evil ways, Catborn. Cease this infernal flirting! Three cat women? Is that so bad? Of course it is. Now he has to pick just one. Perhaps not. Yes, and what do, who do the three cat women look like? Julie Newmar, Lee Merriweather, and Eartha Kitt. Yes. And, uh, you know, Lee Merriweather's look was not quite, she had bangs, it wasn't quite Lee Merriweather, but. That's it, yeah. But yeah, it was meant to be the three different actresses that played Catwoman, you know. And when you said that, it sounded like when, when Adam West was on The Simpsons and he was like, Michelle Pfeiffer, the only real Catwoman was Julie Newmar, Lee Merriweather, or Eartha Kitt. <laughs> Well, I mean, I really like Earth, the Eartha Kit portrayal. And in fact, you know, a couple of years ago, Mattel put out a set of 66 Batman, mm -hmm. you know, at Ken and Barbie. And then they did the Barbie as Julie Newmar with some Lee Merriweather. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, it was an amalgamation. Kind of amalgamation, yeah. But what I did is I took the Ahura doll that had come out, the Star Trek Ahura doll, and I dressed her in a Catwoman, the Catwoman suit, and reboxed it. So it that good. way, I have an Eartha Kit version, too. Yeah, it looks really good. Yeah. Uh, the Batcave is a combination of the TV and comic version with comic elements like a robot T-Rex and the giant Joker card. The Atomic Pile gets a makeover as well. Again, not really sure why, but... The Fitzsimons fr Frozen Food Factory was an odd. The Bat producer, Charles Fitzsimons, but for some reason has an extra M in the sign... But why. I think somebody, maybe Fitzsimmons just sounds more, you know. I think I might have even said Fitzsimmons in the synopsis, but oh well. Uh, the, you pointed this out. The fact that the sign outside says, Aban Abandoned. Abandoned Frozen Food Factory. That's a great gag that the show was fond of, overstating the obvious by literally putting a sign on it. I mean, literally stating it, you know. You know, like Villain's Lair. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. Why not? Yeah, Secret Hideout, you know. Catwoman had used a drug similar to Batnip, then called Cataphrenic, on Batman and Robin in the Batman episodes. That darn Catwoman, Scat darn Catwoman. That's the one with Leslie Gore as... I hope she doesn't leave Scat. That would be smelly. <laughs> oh, come on! Jeez. <laughs> that's just gross. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the one thing you gotta worry about, you know, if Catwoman is dealing with the litter box, I guess. Uh-huh. See? Ah. Uh. This is why you have me. Bat tidy cat. Uh, obviously, Belgravia is filling in for the former Soviet Union here, as it did on the series. Uh, the movie gives a nod to the modern comics where Bruce, when Bruce fires Alfred with Dick saying he'd been with him since he was a boy. That was a Miller edition in The Dark Knight in Batman Year One. Uh, the Bat Rocket seems like something the show would have had if oh, budgets heck weren't yeah. a concern. Uh, besides, he did have one in the comics at one point and on the Super Friends a lot. The joint U.S. Belgravian space station has the famous dome ceiling elements of the classic Russian architecture, the domed roofs. It's ridiculous, but it you know it's fun and pretty. Yeah, it's, it's pretty. Yeah, of course, Catwoman's eyes would have popped out of her head or 
the cold of space would have killed her instantly when they put her in that airlock. Mm -hmm. But, hey, who said any of this was real, right? Right. There you go. You know, and she would have been like Arnold in Total Recall. (laughs) You know, something like that. (laughs) (sighs) Even though we've seen Batman's demeanor is getting grimmer, it was still shocking to hear Adam West quote Michael Keaton. You want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. <laughs> well, when he said that, when we watched the movie for the first time, you you like basically just wop, pop, 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 pop me in the arm. Like, hey, did you hear that? <laughs> yeah. And then the Frank Miller line, this is an operating table and I'm the surgeon. You know, I mean, it's, it's like, whoa. The fact that these creators use this movie to juxtapose this lighthearted version of Batman against the increasingly darker version we've gotten in the past 40 years is just pure genius. It tackles the silly nature of the show straightforward and shows that the darker, overly obsessed and serious Batman is just as open to ridicule. Throughout the movie so far, we've gotten the usual comic sound effects with a few in-jokes thrown in like Sprang after legendary Batman artist Dick Sprang and even things like Spork. Yeah. Really? (laughs) Were they fighting at KFC? I don't know. (laughs) But when Batman goes dark, it's words like rip, Torn, bludgeoned, pulverized. Yeah. Uh, Batman vanishes out of the window like a bat in the night, according to Chief O'Hara, which is not like Batman at all, per Commissioner Gordon. Of course, this is just like every version of Batman since the early 70s. Uh-huh. The, the Denny O'Neill type thing. Bruce calling out how he couldn't handle Gordon's prattling on anymore is something I kind of always suspected irritated Batman. How could he respect those two, you know? We have a jaywalker. Let's throw up the bat signal. (laughs) Yeah. And this one, they're, like, concerned over uh, uh, shoplifters. Yeah. I mean, I know that was part of the joke, but, I mean, sometimes it got so ridiculous, it's like, oh, my God, really? So, Bruce kicks Dick out, but he lets Aunt Harriet stay? Uh, Maybe he needed somebody to be a housekeeper? Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) I love that in the montage of crime sprees and newspaper headlines, it points out, Truancy takes terrible toll on town. (laughs) The kids ain't going to school. Right. The movie goes completely bonkers when Batman replicates himself and has Gordon and O'Hara take off their uniforms, even though Gordon is in just a regular suit. Uh, You know, just just an average suit coat and jacket, you know, pants and jacket. The sight of Batman in a suit jacket and a pair of glasses could be a bridge too far, but the slide into complete absurdity was earned, so you just kind of roll with it and have fun with you it. Just go, oh, well. You yeah. Know. The bat symbol breaking up scenes throughout the movie. You know, it's like Adam West's chest this time uh-huh. instead of the on the TV show. When he turns bad, it's upside down. I see, and I hadn't noticed that until we watched it this last time. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Batman, re- Batman replaces a judge citing the case of Simple versus Dozier. That's a nod to initial writer and script consultant Lorenzo Simple Jr. and, of course, Bill Dozier, who created the tone of the series. Batman trades in his Batmobile for a souped-up muscle car that looks like Ed Big Daddy Roth designed it for Rat Think. Got the big giant engine and all the pipes sticking out and everything. The interplay between Robin and Catwoman is a highlight of the movie. These two always played well off of each other the few times they had scenes alone in the series. And it continues on here. Robin says he's going to keep an eye on her. And Catwoman says, kid, I always kind of thought you did. Yeah. <laughs> There's plenty huh. of other double entendres here and there between the two. Like when they get knocked out in the Batcave, she falls on him on his chest. You yeah. Know what I'm so it's like, mm-hmm. They're all cuddled it. <laughs> yeah. The showdown between Batman and Robin is fun. 
An old-fashioned duel, Robin? A utility belt showdown. I accept. Bat knockout gas. Bat wake-up gas. Bat cuffs. Bat lockpick. Bat bomb. Bat shield. As is all the anti-antidotes, anti-isotope sprays, etc., the series was full of this type of stuff, of course. Both Robin and Catwoman disguise themselves as old people in the series, so the scene in the prison yard is a callback to that. Right. Now, I meant to look this... I, I kind of looked this up, but I, I just kind of like somebody let me know. I recognize all the villains except the guy with the insanely long mustache hanging down to his belt in the prison yard. I couldn't figure out who that was supposed to be. Does anybody know? It, I didn't know if it was like supposed to be a villain. It kind of looks like uh, writer and, and comic to film historian Andy Mangles because he has a droopy mustache, but it's not that droopy. Right. You know, but I didn't know if it was supposed to be him like to the extreme. I, I don't think it is, but that's the only thing I can think of, honestly. And I, I was like, well, who is that? Because all the other ones are like accounted for. Right. So I don't know, unless it was a henchman that didn't show up later or something. I don't I don't know. If I'm, I'm, if I'm missing that, somebody let me know. Of course, the duplicates disintegrating into a pile of dust is just like the dehydrator ray from the movie. Movie, yeah. Yeah. Most of the secondary villains are altered somewhat from the TV version, just enough to get past likeness rights, like the minstrel and the archer have goatees. Louis the Lilac has a pencil-thin mustache. pencil-thin mustache. I knew you were going to do that, et cetera. Mr. Freeze I seems... I help it. I know. <laughs> Mr. Freeze seems to be a combo of the three actors that played him, but it's basically Otto Preminger with more hair, kind of wild like Eli Wallach. The bat fight really is a feast for the eyes. Just imagine a Batman series finale like this, yeah. you know, where they had everybody on there. Which, a free-for-all, man. Mm -hmm. Kind of like the one, it's pretty much like what we said in the Michael, the Mike Allred comic, the last issue of mm -hmm. Batman, regular issue of Batman 66. When Batman drinks the antidote, Adam West's reading of, I've been slipped a Mickey, is similar to his, my orange juice doped, from the very first episode when he's, you know, at the what a way to go-go. So, the villain's ultimate plot is, of course, completely preposterous. There is no way that they could have known the events would play out in their favor in the way they did. No. But unlike Luthor's very similar plan in Batman v Superman, this is meant to be a comical element, so it works. <laughs> couldn't help it, could you? No, I could not. That's still... I haven't watched... I have not watched the Ultimate Edition. I bought it after Black Friday. It was still on the Black Friday price for like seven bucks or whatever at Walmart. I did buy it. I have not watched it yet. I said I wouldn't buy it at full price, and I didn't, but I bought it. It was marked down, so I bought it. I have not watched it, but I'm still saying... I don't still think it's going to make any sense, but anyway. Uh, the final battle is very much like the finale fight in the film. You substitute the bat boat for whirly bats, and man, I wish they had been on the TV show, and the penguin submarine for the penguin blimp, and voila. Yep. All the villains get a humorous farewell. Riddler falls off the blimp and into a clothesline and in a pink tutu, and then onto a squad car hood. The penguin falls into a bin of fish at a fish market, and the Joker, in a very elaborate and maybe just a little too long scene, Falls into a circus big top and is shot from a cannon, stampeded by elephants, and then taken away in a clown car. A clown squad car, police mm -hmm. car. 
One of the clowns looks like... It was actually a paddy wagon. Yeah, a paddy wagon. Well, yeah, that, that's what I meant to say, paddy wagon. One of the clowns looks like his one-time comic book dwarf sidekick, Gabby, from the 60s era. Okay. Yeah, he's got the little cone nose and stuff. Yeah, that's Gabby. Okay. Yep. I, I believe you. Okay. Of course, Catwoman choosing certain death over capture. See, I don't think that's a humorous farewell. All of the male villains get a humorous farewell. Well, that's what I meant. The, well, I don't count Catwoman as the villain because she ends up helping them through most mm. of the movie. Okay. Of course, Catwoman choosing certain death over capture was one of her trademarks on the show. Her falling into the smokestack is very similar to the Joker and the Batman the Animated Series comic and episode Mad Love. He falls down a smokestack. Yeah. The end credits show Batman running with his bomb that he just can't get rid of, and then Batusing. Catwoman does a rather seductive hip-shaking dance, and then the two come together. Batman dips her, drapes his cape over them, and it fades to black. Yeah. So it's fun to even watch the credits on this thing. Mm-hmm. And the music in this is really good. I didn't I didn't point out the, the, the music is uh, by the usual team of uh, it's, uh, Michael McQuiston and... Uh, Lolita Reminis and uh, what's the other guy's name? I didn't I didn't write that down. I think it's uh, I, if I'm leaving it out, I'm apologizing. I think his name's Carter. I think they 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 worked with Shirley Walker on the animated series. Oh, okay, and they've done a lot of the stuff since then for the animated series and different movies and things. So they did a great job on the music. It 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 nails the TV series and it's actually even got some some cool extended versions of the theme and everything. The real question is, where's Batgirl? Yeah. And, you know, was it because Yvonne Craig didn't agree to participate in the licensing until shortly before her death? Did they think Batgirl would undermine Catwoman's role? I don't know. I don't know. Because there's season three characters in it, like Lily the Lilac mm-hmm. and the Siren. So it's not like this takes place in... Or maybe they had planned, okay, we're going to do this, and then the next movie they were going to do, you know, maybe they already had the script outline, and then they were maybe planning to have her in the in next. The, the next one. Uh, well, the great news is there is more to come. A sequel was already announced when they debuted this movie at the New York Comic Con. They announced the sequel, mm-hmm. presumably for release this year in 2017, with William Shatner portraying Two-Face. Yeah. So how perfect is that? I know. So... Hopefully they'll do it in theaters again. I wonder how it did theater. I don't release. know. You know, I, they had a pretty good crowd when we were there, if I remember right. But uh, yeah, we'll have to. I hope so. I hope they do. Uh, this movie is just so damn fun. You can tell everyone involved was just having a ball creating it, from the script to the voice acting to the design and the animation. It all clicks. And while it is a great continuation of the series, it's actually more than that. It takes the absurdity of the show. To new levels, while also very stealthily commenting on how maybe all of this is just a little too goofy to take so seriously, despite the mega million dollar movies telling us to do otherwise. <laughs> In other words, don't take this stuff so seriously. Uh, if you were ever a fan of the classic TV series, or really just a Batman fan in general who doesn't loathe the show, and there are still some diehards who just refuse to allow this one any leeway, then you owe it to yourself to give this one a watch. Mm-hmm. You'll be glad you did, I think. Hey, it's got an 89% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. You went and looked it up. Yeah, I so, mean, you know, that ought to tell you something. That's pretty fresh, you know, so. Well, and I'm looking forward to not only, I mean, this is a great movie, and it, and I think it, 
I think people are starting to realize, hey, he doesn't have to be grim, gritty, holy crap, you know. We've got a Lego Batman movie coming out next month. Right. I'm hoping um, we will obviously be going to see that because our daughter is Lego nuts, and of course she's been raised in the Batman household, so we'll be going to that. Right. Maybe we can talk her into doing maybe a mini-sode with a review of it. Sure, yeah. You know, I think that would be something cool. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that'd be fun. I think, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to the Lego Batman movie. Obviously, the Lego... Um, That's what our Valentine's Day weekend plan is going to be, is yeah. go to see that. And I'm not even kidding. I'm fine with that. Yeah, well, I mean, the Lego Batman parts in the Lego movie were great. Yes. And I mean, a whole movie of it. I mean, it, you know, and there's so many, it's just, there's so many obscure Batman characters in it. It's just like, I mean, me and Ryan have been talking about Magpie because of, she was in the, you know, in the the Batman number 401 we talked about. She's in it. I mean, that's that's like, wow, really? And like Orca and the Eraser. And I mean, just, I mean, like crazy amounts of characters and stuff. It just, it looks like a lot of fun, you know? And plus, actually, st- uh, there's actually a Batman movie with Robin in it. I know, right? There's, I saw a poster at Walmart that was Batman and Robin. Yeah, they were Lego figures, but it was Batman and Robin side by side again. It's like, wow, that's the first time since what? The, the 80s that you really saw a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, the animated series, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, that not in a movie. But I mean, I think uh, Batman and well, with Batman this forever, being, you obviously. know, the 50th anniversary of Batman 66. Well, last year, obviously. 51st, yeah. Um, this movie is is great. It to me, it is one of those. Hey, guess what? Comics can be for families. Right. You know, comic characters can be for families, and that's what I loved about it. I mean, we went to it. It was when the kids were on fall break, and we went up to Lexington and saw it mm-hmm. that night. And, I mean, we came out of that, and the kids, all you know, Everybody from our jaded teenager, you know, and then <laughs> our, at that time, eight-year-old little girl, and then Chris and I and myself, we all loved it, you know. Right, right. And, I, and I think, you know, uh, I, I still, and I've said this before, I think sometimes you can take these properties too far into the adult realm. And, and and I don't even know if they should ever be. I mean, I, I I think I don't think they were created with that in mind. And I think sometimes that when you take them too seriously, when you take them too adult, then 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 you if you really step back and look at it, it's just ridiculous. You know, if you don't keep some kind of fantastical fantasy element, some innocence in it, uh-huh. then it just all kind of crumbles under its own weight. And I I think the Batman. I mean, as much as I love the Nolan movies. I think by the time Dark Knight Rises came along, it did take itself too seriously. You know, there's parts of it that's like, really? and But then there's some really goofy things in that that's like, okay, all this is real world and logical, but then this part, like, how the hell did Batman get back? How the hell did the bomb that still give, you know, irradiate Gotham City, you know, detonate it into water and things like You know, right. I mean, just think, you know, goofy. Some of that stuff's no less goofy than Batman, than Adam West run down the pier. You know, some days you just can't, can't get, rid get rid of a bomb. bomb. That's what's pretty much like somebody said. That's the same thing Christian Bale was saying, you know. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, you know, it's. I'm not saying I want everything <clears throat> like this. You know, I'm not saying that there can't be. You know, obviously I like, you know, darker versions of Batman and more serious takes on it and stuff. But I don't think you should ever lose sight of the fact that you can have fun with it. Right. That there can be an element of fun. That there can be a version that you can take your kids to see without worrying about, okay, this is going to scar them for life or, 
you know, this is way too, you know, violent or psychologically damaging or something. So, yeah, I, I just, I really love this and, and uh, it worked, like we said, worked on many levels. So go watch it. Uh, we're going to take another break. When we come back, I'm going to quiz Cindy huh? on some Batman 66 related questions and you can play along at home. Great comics come in all shapes and sizes. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It's Digest Cast, a new show dedicated to our beloved pocket-sized treasures from that bygone era of the 70s and 80s. Hosted by the Fire and Water Podcast team of Robin Shag, and we'll be joined from time to time by special guests. It's Digest Cast. Because big things come in small packages. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Before you trip over your cape, Batman, riddle me this. There are three men in a boat with four cigarettes but no matches. How do they manage to smoke? Hmm? <laughs> the Riddler. Okay, we're back, and we're going to do a little segment I had to call Riddle Me This. Of course you did. <laughs> Some of my favorite podcasts have quizzes built in for new guests like Fire and Water's own Give Me Those Star Wars and Monster Kid Radio, which I was on with Derek and Cook and had to answer the classic five monster questions, which is really cool. The Fantastic Cast recently released an episode where Stephen Lacey quizzed former guest at a comic convention. Never being one to pass up a good idea when I see one, I thought, hey, why not quiz Cindy on Batman 66? These are not trivia facts, just opinion type questions, so there's no wrong answer. Yeah, but you'll say if I don't agree with you. No, I, don't I won't. I'm going to answer them as well, and we'd love if you listeners played along at home and left some or all of your answers at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Or you can email us at supermatespodcast at gmail.com. But if you leave them on the fireandwaterpodcast.com page, then that way everybody else can see your answers and then we can get a conversation going back and forth. Mm -hmm. So that'll be fun. Okay, so number one, your favorite villain from the big four, which would be Joker, Riddler, Penguin, Catwoman. Well, of course Catwoman. Okay. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> No best-dressed list is complete without the addition of the Queen of Criminals, the Princess of Plunder, yours untruly. My vote would have to be the Riddler. Uh, just the, the Frank Gorshin version of the Riddler. Correct, boy wonder. <laughs> oh, I've waited for this. It makes my whole life worthwhile. <laughs> No offense to John Aston, but they shouldn't have made that guy try to replace Frank Gorshin. That was that. There's no way he could have ever won. You know, I just yeah. So I, I gotta say that because of his manic, uh, he made the Riddler. The Riddler. Nobody would know who the crap the Riddler was if it wasn't for Frank Gorshin. So, favorite non-Big Four villain. Hmm. I don't know. That's a hard choice because I mean they all have. You know, there's different ones that I really like. Okay. That help? <laughs> <laughs> He's showing me the back of the book. <laughs> I mean, you know, King Tut's good, Egghead's good, you know, the bookworm, you know, Shane, you know, Lily the Louis the Lilac, you know. I Okay. Don't have a favorite? No, no. Okay. Not really. Okay. Uh I'm gonna say my fa I think my favorite's the Mad Hatter. 
I like David Wayne's Mad Hatter. He's just so, he's so pompous. Batman's cow? Precisely. Jervis, that's positively waggish. Waggish, maybe, but taking on Batman's a big order, boss. The biggest. Not only will I add his cowl to my unique collection, but I will have exposed our monstrous enemy once and for all before he meets his gory end. You rogue. Many others have tried killing Batman. Many others do not have the lethal equipment of my hat factory. I really wish he'd been on there more, you know. And uh, I think part of it, too, was I had a DC Digest as a kid that, that reprinted, like, the first version, the first story with that version of the Mad Hatter that uh -huh. had the red hair and the mustache. I mean, he was dead on the comic book, and it was even, it was adapted from, the, the TV episode was adapted from that comic. Oh, okay. So I, it was like a double, you know, like, wow, I know this story, you know, so I think that's another reason it's just stuck with me. Okay, number three, better partner to Batman, Robin or Batgirl? Hmm. Honestly, I think Robin. Holy hole in a donut! Okay. I mean, he he's right there with him. He can share his knowledge with him. He can, you know, say, hey, this is how we do things. I mean, there's just more of a fatherly mm -hmm. element there. Yeah, I would agree, too. Well, that's it, Robin. You've done it again. I was just, the reason I kind of asked is there's some... I, I, there's, there's no mention of it in this book and in some of the other books I've got, but I've, I've heard that there was some discussion if, if the series was going to continue on ABC when they were considering continue it, continuing it for a fourth season, there was actually talk about getting rid of Burt Ward and just having it be Batman and Batgirl. Oh. And uh, and I think like Burt Ward and maybe Chief O'Hara and some of the other characters that they, they were trying to cut down costs. Right. Which... Uh, that would have really ticked me off if they'd done that. You know, Robin's integral to the show. As much as I love Yvonne Craig and Batgirl, she didn't have to be on there. No. You know? And, I mean, she was an ad addition. Nice to have, not a have to nice have. Nice to have. And if, they, if they'd done something where they alternated, where Robin was, you know, like they sent Robin off to college and they, you know, alternated back and forth. Kind of like the new Batman adventures, you know, where sometimes it was Batgirl, sometimes it was Tim, sometimes it was all of them, sometimes Dick came back, you know, different things. That, you know... That probably would have worked. Even think about this: What if they, what if Batman '66 stayed popular, and they spun Robin off into a Teen Titans TV show? <laughs> the mind boggles. Yes. Now that would the old Teen Titans comic book would have been perfect for the kind of humor they had on the TV show. So, number four: Do you think Alfred should have told Batman that he knew who Batgirl was? Yes, that was just stupid that he didn't tell him. <laughs> she made him promise that he wouldn't, as a gentleman's gentleman. The fact remains you do know my secret, my dual identity. And you must swear never to reveal it to anyone. Well, really, Batgirl, no, I... No, Alfred, you must swear. If you reveal my identity to anyone, I'll be of no further use as a crime fighter. Now, you must swear as, as a gentleman's gentleman. Very well. You have my word as uh, a gentleman's gentleman that no one will ever learn your secret from me. Thank you, Alfred. Oh, <laughs> I'll call manure. Well, I think that was just, you know, that was one of those things that, you know, if they did it now on a TV show, by the end of the season, they would have found out. Yeah. You know, they would have. I mean, I can understand, you know, one or two episodes, but he should, you know, I 
I call manure. The, the one thing that killed the Batman TV show, I think, more than anything, was their their. I know formula was part of the joke that this this rigid formula existed, you know, every week. And, and in the third season, it wasn't as formulaic. It couldn't be. But I think by the time they should have they should have veered off the formula more often. And I think part of the reason that Alfred they they played that same game over and over. You know, they didn't know who Batgirl was, and at the end of every episode, it was almost like the Lone Ranger, who was that masked man. Right. You know, so, you know, I, I think I think if they, you know, it would have freshened things up a little bit if they had him eventually figure out who she was. You know, he is supposed to be the world's greatest detective, duh. Yeah. True <laughs> that. Uh, number five, favorite made-for-TV character from the series. That could be a villain, or it's mostly villains that were made up for the series, but. Give me... Because, see, I'm, you know, I'm not as, uh, you got to think, okay. I don't have the knowledge that you do on this. I'm being put on the spot here. I'm sorry. Okay. Say, like, you know, Egghead, King Tut, the Archer, the Minstrel, Black Widow, Marsha Queen of Diamonds, uh, Louis the Lilac, I'd Bookworm. I'd say out of those, King Tut would be my favorite. Okay. Oh, happiness unbounded. Oh, great blobs of joy. Eureka! I have found it, the Batcave, right under Wayne Manor. Oh, dream of happiness! Right under Wayne Manor. That means that uh, carry the three. They took King Tut, and when they did on the animated series where they did Zeus, Maxi Zeus. Zeus. Yeah, yeah to me pretty, that was yeah. You know, and I really liked those elements. Okay, so. well you're pretty yeah. I mean, they Maxi Zeus actually was a character in the comic books, but yeah, he was largely like King Tut. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would say probably the bookworm is my favorite because Roddy McDowell's just cool and everything. And he also later voiced the Mad Hatter. Right. An animated series. But he was actually probably the second most threatening character besides Frank Gorshin because he really seemed like nuts. Like he would just like explode. Oh, it's books, my sweet idiot. Books, books. That's the secret of my success. I inherit the wisdom of the ages. Every plot ever devised is here inside my head. Oh, bookworm, with a mind like yours, I wonder why you don't write your own bestseller. Shut up! Oh, don't you dare say that to me. But bookworm, I... No, you, 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 you're taunting me, aren't you? No, bookworm. Yes, yes, you are. You're taunting, mocking me. And why? Why? Because I have no originality. And why? Why? Because I'm only the master of stolen plots. Well, this, this will teach you a lesson. He would get angry, and he was, like, obsessive-compulsive, and when things didn't go his way, he just, like, blew up. Mm. And I really liked that. He did, he did a great performance. Only... In one two-part episode, which sucks, but uh, where do you rank Adam West among? This is number six. Where do you rank Adam West among the live-action Batman? I'd have to say he's my favorite. He's your favorite, okay? You know, honestly, a couple of years ago, I might have said Christian Bale, but now we've moved past Christian Bale. Uh-huh. So I, I still think, I still think overall, I like Christian Bale. You know, everybody makes fun of his voice and everything. I still think Christian Bale was the most, as far as looking, getting the physical part and the psychological part of the modern, darker Batman. Right. 
as of right now, I think he's still my favorite. Right, as that, but I'm talking but, about overall. Well, that's what I meant. But overall, in the back of my head, I still see Adam West as Batman. Right. So I think I still got to put him up top, too. Anything I can do for you, sir? Check your cape? Ringside table, Batman? Uh, just looking, thanks. I'll stand at the bar. I shouldn't wish to attract attention. Who is your favorite Catwoman, number seven? Eartha Kitt. Eartha Kitt? Yep. Okay. Eartha Kitt. I just, you know, there is some, she is a feline incarnate. You ladies with your fancy hairdos, what do you know about beauty? After you suffer the effects of my hair-raising balm, you will never be able to raise your heads in public again. Then we'll see who's the fairest of them all. No, not our hair. Anything but that. I, I just like her the best, and it pissed me off that they didn't come out with an Eartha Kit version of the Barbie. It did, and I made my own because it pissed me off. <laughs> okay. So she's my favorite. Okay. I, to me, she embodies, you know, she's slick and graceful and, you know, that's dangerous, you know. Right. She's Catwoman. From, she's my Catwoman. Right. Well, and, you know, they, of course, being the times, they downplayed, there was, like, no romantic tension between her and Batman. Right. You know, because, Ugh, you know. A bunch of freaking prudes. Yeah, but, but, you know, it was the 60s. I know, I know. You know, but not not making excuses for it, but, but I think in a way that made her even a stronger character because she was... You know, she she wasn't sappy about Batman like Julie well, Newmar. Well, that's did. true. That's so, true. I'll, but I'm gonna pick Julie Newmar because I, I, you know, I'm a male, and and nothing not against her, the kid. Yeah. But, but Julie Newmar's Julie Newmar in that costume, so. <laughs> How can I ever come back to you again after all you've done for me? Let's hope it never comes to that, Catwoman. Because in the end, veracity and rectitude always triumph. Batman, are you spoken for? Marriage gates are going steady. My crime fighting leaves me little time for social engagements. Boy, have I got a girl for you. Chris! Nothing wrong with Lee Merriweather either, but, you know, yeah. Like they, You like, knew you were going to get whopped for that. Well, I'm just being honest. <laughs> Even in the in the end credits, I mean, you were just like, ooh. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, it's a cartoon, dude. Calm down. But I'm thinking about, you know, it's like there's that one famous scene that that where Batman and Catwoman are, it's in an episode, and, and it, you know, they're having their usual back and forth about, why don't you give up, you know, and why don't you join me, Batman, and, you know, we'll kill Robin and all that, you know, that type of stuff. And, and Julie Newmar, with her, they knew what they were doing. With, she, with her back to the camera, she bends over a couch and... Right there, you know, I'm just like, they knew what they were doing, you know, so, like she said, her costume looked like black licorice just poured over her, so, okay, besides the Batmobile, this number eight, besides the Batmobile, what was your favorite Bat vehicle? The Bat Cycle. Mm, which Bat Cycle? Batman Robin's Bat Cycle or the Batgirl Cycle? Oh, pff, the Bat, the Batgirl Cycle was all that frilly crap, no, um, <laughs> Definitely the one, you know, and I mean, the sidecar po popped off, and I mean, you know, that's just cool. We've seen that. We yes. saw it in uh, Gatlinburg. The Gatlinburg, or Tennessee. Is it Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg? No, it's in Gatlinburg. Was it? Okay. It was Gatlinburg, Tennessee. They had the uh, the bats, they had the Batmobile, 
at the Guinness, they did, I haven't been there in a few years, at the Guinness World Record Museum, they have one of the, supposed to be one of the show used Batmobiles. Uh, actually, I guess there was only one really show used Batmobile, and then there were three or four copies made during the production of the show. Uh-huh. And it's supposed to be one of them that they used for touring. I don't think it's like the original, original. But yeah, the, uh, the there's actually, and actually there was a Bat Cycle used in one episode that, it's a really cool story about the Bat Cycle, because they used, they, they rented this Harley-Davidson motorcycle, and they put a bat-like shaped uh, windshield on the cycle and on the sidecar, and they were they used it in one episode with the penguin, when the penguin steals a Batmobile, which is, of course, you know, the penguin's always trying to run for mayor and steal the Batmobile, but anyway, or control the Batmobile. And uh, then they, they did that. It was supposed to be in the bat cave in the background and stuff but this group of customizers on their own created their own bat cycle and kept trying to get to see the producers to say hey we created a bat cycle they finally got in and said hey we created a bat cycle the guy's like we already have one he says well you don't want that one you want ours and that's the one you're talking about the classic white with the, the you know the really super slick looking bat cycle the white and black with the red pinstripes and everything the lightning bolt stuff that's the one, and they said, "Okay, okay, we want this bat cycle." <laughs> so they, you know, that's where that bat cycle comes from. So, yeah, the Batgirl cycle, the one they used in the the Batgirl pilot, I liked a lot better. Yes. It wasn't as overly girly as that. I mean, that mm-hmm. was with all the frilliness. It, it's cool looking. If they took all that off, it'd be. But it's just that, stupid. It's it, yeah, it's a little too much, even for the show. The word you're looking for is stupid. Well, that's the thing. The other stuff. The oh. o- the other equip, bad equipment, despite the the silliness of some of the elements of the show, it looked cool. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, there was no denying how cool it looked. But with the Batgirl cycle, they just decided to just, it's girly. It's got a big bow. It's got frilly. You know, it's so, yeah. Number nine, favorite bat gadget non-vehicle. So that'd be like anything from the utility belt. The bat shield. The bat shield. Oh, okay. The bat shield. I like, because it's just, there. I mean, you know. Where did it come from? And it just, you know, whoop, there when, it is. And when Adam West, he, he'll fold it up, and it'll just go behind his back. And you know he drops it to some guy behind him. Oh, yeah. Or on the ground, they just take the sound out. But it's like he tucks it in his utility belt. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. That's cool. Well, there's so many to choose from. But I'm a big fan of the Batzooka. When when Burt Ward picks that up <laughs> out of the Bat boat and like starts shooting at the submarine in the movie, that's cool. Mm. <laughs> right. Well, they did it in the, they did it in the Mattel Six-inch version and the Figures Toy Company, the Batsuka. I've got both of them, and it's it's sharp looking. Okay, favorite character from the entire series. That's hero, villain, you know, supporting cast. Who you like? <laughs> With the exception of Batman and Robin. If no, you can. I mean, you can. You can say okay, I like Batman and Robin. Then I like. Well, let's well take them off. Take the Batman and Robin off the table. Okay, okay. I I mean, to me, it has to be Alfred. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. The supply of titanium is very limited in this vicinity. Uh, but isn't there an abundant supply, sir, of beryllium in the metals research wing of the Wayne Foundation? Indeed there is, Alfred. And Joker's just clever enough to know that. And maybe planning to appropriate it. Alfred, yes, it's sir? 15 minutes until midnight. I know, sir. Pay a quick and casual call on the Wayne Foundation and check on security there. Robin and I will follow. But I do not want our presence known until and if the Joker plays his hand. 
At once, sir. You know, I find such an assignment quite a challenge. Alfred, he's he's his man, you know? He's still my favorite Alfred. Yeah. yeah I mean, of all of them, and I mean, I'm not, nothing against Michael Goff or Michael Caine or, or uh, uh, Jeremy Irons, who I actually thought was pretty good as Alfred from Batman v Superman. I, you know, I, I still like... Alan Napier was, you know, the consummate Alfred. Yeah. And he seemed more... And I think... I think one reason why Alfred in the comic books eventually became more integral to many of the plots is he was really involved a lot uh -huh. on the TV show, especially in the third season when he knew who Batgirl was. But, I mean, he dressed up in the Batman costume Yeah. Just, this big gangly, tall, gangly English guy with a white mustache in a Batman suit. It's just... Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. Okay. Proving once again. Yes. Our brains, we share brains. <laughs> yes. Uh, number 11, which comic villains would you have liked to have seen on the show So that, that didn't make it into the show? Mm. Probably, honestly, Poison Ivy, just to have another woman on mm. the show. You know, another female character. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Some people say that Joan Collins, the siren, was quite a bit like Poison Ivy because she could, you know, she used... And not like Zelda the Great or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right, know? right. She used sound to... You know, control men versus, you know, plant toxins and things. But, okay, speaking of, and, you know, actually, who would mine be? Would it be, hmm, Poison Ivy's up there. Is probably either Poison Ivy or Two-Face. And, uh, but we're going to get, find out, you know, see Two-Face in some fashion in that universe. Yeah. Soon, so. so, one or the other. Okay, lightning round. Name an actor to play these characters, speaking of which. From the 60s, it's got to be somebody that was active then and would be around the right age. Two-Face, Poison Ivy, and Scarecrow, and Professor Hugo Strange. Hmm. Okay. I'm not sure about Two-Face or Professor Hugo Strange, but for Poison Ivy, I think Sophia Loren. Hmm. Nice. <laughs> I would, well, you know... Mm -hmm. And then for Scarecrow, Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis. Yeah. Because, I mean, he's the whole goofy professor, but then, <laughs> you know, that well, that movie, there's a movie that he did. But now, well, it's a nutty the professor. Nutty professor, yeah, yeah. Where he could be that slick, you know, that, yeah. that, that, that dichotomy of the character that Scarecrow is. Yeah. I think Jerry Lewis could have nice pulled Nice Batman. Up. I use you with the fear gas and the hind front living. No. <laughs> That manic, that manic energy, not you. that crappy voice you just did. Um. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, yeah, I can see that. No Two-Face. I can't really think of somebody that, you know, I mean, you could maybe do, I don't know if, I don't know if Cary Grant would be the mm -hmm. right age. No. I mean, that you said about the Grant. right age, but, you know. Can't go wrong with Cary Grant. Because, I mean, Cary Grant... You talk about somebody that is suave and slick, but what would happen to him, right. you know, if things weren't going his way? I mean, I could see that. As far as Professor Hugo Strange, that one I'm going to have to take a pass on. Okay. Um, I would say two of these I got from the Batcave Companion, which was the part about the 60s Batman show was written by Michael Urey of, of Back Issue Magazine, uh, published by Two Morrows. And they had two picks on there that once I saw it, I'm like, okay, that's who it should have been. Uh, William Shatner would be a good 
who faced, you know, apparently who's got a bigger ego than Shatner and if his face was messed up, you know, would probably go nuts. Ooh, or Two-Face, Gregory Peck. Mmm, Gregory Peck. Mm, sorry. Go. Yeah, a little bit younger than Cary Grant, so yeah. That yeah. might be more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you go by Batman Year One, Gregory Peck was Bruce Wayne. <laughs> you know? Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, Joel. Uh, sorry. No, it's okay. For my Two-Face, I would say James Garner. Mmm. Uh, equally stupid, handsome guy. Yeah. You know? And very likable, affable guy, but then something bad happens. Of course, they went dark with Two-Face on 60s Batman. Uh, Poison Ivy and Margaret. Mm. That, that's She's Poison Ivy to me. And they kind of drew her, the Poison Ivy in the 66 comic book, to look like Anne Margaret. Mm. Because, you know. Uh, I think Sophia Loren, though, could be. Yeah, yeah. She'd, she, you know, if Rachel Ghoul was around in the 60s, she'd been a good Talia, mm. you know, I think. Uh, but, you know, she worked, too. Um, the uh, Professor Hugo Strange, I would say Donald Pleasance, you know, from the Halloween movies and, and the Dr. Seward in the Franklin Jello Dracula. Oh, 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 sorry. Blofeld sorry. One of the James you Bond know movies. I never remember who the yeah, people but he's really... twitchy and, you know, and he yeah. oftentimes plays, a, you know, he plays psychologist in the Halloween movies, so that's kind of a cheat. But he was around back then, so I'd say Donald Pleasance. The Scarecrow... Jeez, I'm really, you know, Roddy McDowell would actually have been a really good scarecrow, mm. but he played the bookworm, so right. you can't use him. Although Zelda, although Ann Baxter played Zelda the Great and Olga the Queen of the Cossacks with Egghead, right? Uh, but you know, Bill Bixby as a scarecrow, hmm. I could see that. Why not? Okay. <laughs> you know, he was around back then. Okay. So. No, I got a better one. Better Don Knotts. No, 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 no. Um, oh shoot, what is his name? The guy who played Norman Bates. Oh, Anthony Perkins. Yes. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. Bill Bixby, too good looking to. Yes, yes. Anthony Perkins, good scarecrow. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Very good. Yep. There you go. Anthony Perkins as a scarecrow. Great. I like that one. Okay. Number thirteen. If Superman and Wonder Woman. Were able to guest star, who would you have cast in those roles? Christopher Reeve and Linda Carter. <laughs> Christopher Reeve was like ten years old then. Christopher Reeve and Linda Carter. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you ain't gonna pick somebody from the sixties. Christopher Reeve and Linda Carter. You can't be George Reeves, obviously, but dead. So, uh, okay, <laughs> I'm gonna cheat here a little bit and say just from the the Wonder Woman pilot had Linda Harrison from uh, Planet of the Apes. As Wonder Woman in the mirror, when the and she looked good, and she was she was a you know decent actress. She could have been Wonder Woman. She mm -hmm. looked the part. For Superman, I'm going to cheat again and go back to another Michael Yuri book, and uh, I think it's the Krypton Companion. They said who should have played Superman in a '60s TV series if they did one. Clint Walker from Cheyenne, and he was the big guy in um, and the Dirty Dozen. You know what I'm talking about? Big, tall, dark haired. Super oh, handsome yeah. guy, yeah, yeah. He'd been awesome as Superman, and he's got that real kind of quiet way about him, you know. But I mean, that dude's like looks like a freaking. I mean, uh, he's just a big guy, you know. He'd been perfect as Superman. Okay, number fourteen. Would you have stuck with Adam West or picked Lyle Wagner as Batman? Adam West. Yeah, me too. My identity exposed. My value as a secret crime fighter ended by everything I've trained myself for since my parents were murdered. 
In the ash can. Gone up the chute. That's too terrible to face. I mean, when I saw this question, I, I think about if they had ever done an episode where they did, instead of Superman Red and Superman Blue, but Batman Red and B Batman Blue, yeah. they could have done Lyle Wagner in that. Right. Yeah. You know, something like that. But as far as Adam West is 66 Batman. Yeah. I think Lyle Wagner obviously knows how to do comedy. He was on Carol Burnett for years. But I don't, I don't know if he... I, and, I, and we'll never know because he didn't get a chance to do it. Obviously, in case you didn't know, Lyle Wagner did a screen test for Batman. Mm -hmm. He was the second choice. Uh, him and an actor named Peter Dial played Robin with him. And Adam and Bert did their screen test together. And of course, they got the parts. And their costumes are really... They look like, like the Golden Age Batman. The, you know, it's like the movie serials more. No oval on his chest. It's really neat. It's on the DVD, the Blu-ray set, or you can find them on YouTube. But I think I don't know that. I don't know who. I don't know if very many people could have pulled off the role like Adam West did, where he was completely straight and serious for the most part. Some people say later on in seasons he. He let the, the the joke, he, he acted like he was in on the joke too much. But they, he, you know, played the role, played everything straight with all this absurd stuff going on. Well, and I think that's the thing. Lyle Wagner might have been okay, like I said, for a one-of thing or right. a couple episodes or something like that. Right. But as far as episode in, episode out, you know, year after year, Adam West still. Right. Now, this last one is a little similar to another one I did, but it's a little bit different because it's like... If you had this, what would you do with it? If you could have one gadget or vehicle from the TV show, what would it be? Well, I already know if you ever have a midlife crisis, we're buying the Batmobile. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my, that's my, if I hit the lottery, I'm getting a 66 Batmobile. Yeah, uh, that's basically it. So yeah, that's, that's kind of a no brainer. Yeah. I mean, there's a seat there for me, so I'm good. Right, right. <laughs> If it rains, we're screwed, which I've always wondered. What did they do when it rained? You know, it's like, you think that one they'd show like some the bubble or sliding something. over yeah. or something, you know, even though it couldn't be there any other time, they could still show it slide over them or something. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, but, uh, okay, beyond the Batmobile, what would you, what would you have? <laughs> Christopher. What? I don't know. I'm going to stick with the Batzooka so I can just blast people that get them on the road and somebody's driving slow. But the Batzooka just blast them. Oh my gosh, your road rage. I mean, <laughs> when our daughter writes about it every single time that, you know, they'll be doing something at school and tell us about your family. Daddy cusses when he's in traffic. <laughs> every time. Every time. Yeah. I, I, have been, I have been said by a co-worker that I drove up Drove to Indianapolis with one time. I wasn't even driving. She was driving. And she actually told, she was surprised. We hadn't worked together that long. She was surprised at how vocal I was with all the crazy drivers around. She said, I didn't know you had vehicular Tourette syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. So. I'm pretty sure all the curse words that Andrew knows he learned while you were at the wheel. So <laughs> I'm like Ralphie's dad. <laughs> yeah. It was his art form, a master. <laughs> They're still hanging in a cloud over Frankfurt, Kentucky. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Well, that was fun, and I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. And like I said, if you feel froggy, then please play along. Let us know 
what you think, you know, fill out fill out the questions and uh, play along at home and, and post it on fireandwaterpodcast.com. And uh, we uh, hope you enjoyed this episode and go out and watch Batman Return of the Cape Crusaders. And, you know, the Lego movie will be out soon. Uh, they probably got some similar feel going on mm-hmm. about them. So a lot of fun Batman stuff. Which I think we need after the overly dark Batman we got. Most definitely. You know, so, yeah. So, uh, have fun, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Supermates is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises Worldwide. And is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. The characters and properties mentioned in this show are copyright their respective holders. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their holders and no infringement is implied. So please don't sue my mommy and daddy. <laughs> Emails can be sent to supermatespodcast at gmail.com. Comments can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook by searching for Supermates and FW Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter by using the hashtag FWPodcast. Please consider leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast. Catwoman, consider the consequences of your actions. You know a tiger cat changes stripes, Batman. Please, by all that's decent, I beg of you. I'll give myself up on one condition. What's that? We run away to Europe together, sip tea in a cafe, and live happily ever after. Holy unsatisfying ending.